0: Lord, have mercy.
1: Lord have mercy. Welcome to this week's edition of Holy Apostles' Weekly Sermons. Lord, of Stood and prayed thus with himself God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off. Would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, O sinner. <coughs> I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased and he that public himself shall be exalted. At that time, the parents of the child Jesus brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And the sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same, what a man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him, and it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus for to do him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us, thou, thy servant, depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his father marvelled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign. Which shall be spoken against? Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity, and she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not. the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord, and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. And when they had performed all things of
0: First of all, by way of clarification, today is the leave-taking of the feast of the uh, meeting of the Lord in the temple, which is why the second gospel reading and the second epistle reading were repeated from last week, because last Sunday was the actual feast day itself, and today is what we call the leave-taking, we give up the feast, so all week long we have celebrated that feast, it's a feast of eight days, and today, giving up the feast, we read the scriptures that are appointed for that feast over again. So, just by way of making you to understand why, because the Gospel readings were out of chronological order. In any case, I want to talk about the first one, because today, as many of you know, is the day that we enter into the period in the Orthodox Church called on our calendar the Triodion, which means we are entering the period, we are three weeks uh, out from the season of Great Lent. And Great Lent is, for us, a time of intensified fasting, intensified prayer. We could say, in general, intensified, I'm not going to say work on ourselves, but attention to ourselves. We will be more careful. We will observe the inner state of our own heart. And we will strive in prayer to God that He would purify us of the passions and sins that we find there. And so in the in anticipation of us entering into that season, the Holy Church appoints for us always to read every year this passage, this parable, which the Lord tells concerning this Pharisee and this publican. And the passage itself is fairly short and fairly to the point and actually fairly easy to interpret. Two men went up to the temple. One was a Pharisee and the other was a publican. You've heard me say these things before, but just to re, uh, reiterate, Pharisees were those who were considered at the time of Jesus Christ to be the sort of perfect examples of, uh, of a pious Jews, right? These are the ones that people looked up to. They they, would follow, they they followed the letter of the law to its most strict application. They were... Uh, interpreters of the law. They were examples for the people everyone admired and looked up to them. And on the other end of the social spectrum, you have the publican. And I don't know that we have an analogy for in modern society for what a publican is, because I don't know that there's a category of people that we actually despise enough. We shouldn't, I'm saying. But publicans were Jews who were collaborating with the Roman uh, government For the sake of collecting the taxes which the government required from their conquered territories and the way the publicans made their living was by charging more than the quota that was expected of them from their local region and they lined their pockets with the difference and this was a, a kind of unspoken policy that was in place it was tolerated by the romans because how else are you going to get somebody to betray his own people and to uh and to work for you if there's not some kind of payment involved So the publicans were literally extorting money out of their own fellow countrymen and their fellow, their co-religionists, as they say, the fellow Jews, for the sake of working for the Roman government and getting rich off of the proceeds. So this is what I mean whenever I say there's not a category of people that we despise enough. We don't have people that do this kind of thing to us. So you have the opposite ends of the social spectrum presented here. One, the Pharisee. One, the publican. And the Lord, in the, in the telling of the parable, does this on purpose. Because His goal is to shock His hearers and to make them understand that spiritual principles are not the same as physical principles. The rules that govern this life are not the rules that apply in the spiritual realm. Because if you were to ask any pious Jew of the time of the Lord, Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and one is a publican. Which one goes home justified? Everybody's like, what's the Pharisee? Obviously. We all know the publicans and we hate them. But the Pharisees are pious. They keep the law. They're venerable. And what the Lord does is he turns the whole thing on its head. Not because publicans as a whole are a category of people to be admired. But to demonstrate that if we're going to approach God in prayer, we are not going to do it relying on our own righteousness. The Lord says, the Pharisee and the publican went up to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee prays, we could say a self-centered and arrogant prayer. It says even in the gospel he prayed with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. So he begins, well, God I thank thee, and he immediately diverts into criticism and condemnation of others. I thank thee that what? You could finish that sentence in any number of appropriate ways. That thou hast created me, that thou hast given me life, that thou has given me health, that thou has given me enough to eat, a healthy family. Any number of ways you could finish that, but he doesn't. I thank thee that I'm not like other people. And then he proceeds in his arrogance to enumerate the sins of other people, right? Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even, and here he gets very specific, like this publican. Someone else who has gone up to the temple for the purpose of prayer. Can you imagine the insanity of it? To stand praying in the temple of God, looking out the corner of your eye at someone else who's come for the very same purpose. And thinking, I'm so glad I'm not that person. It's demonic pride is what it is. <clears throat> and then after having entered into this insane judgment of others, he proceeds to enumerate his own virtues. But he actually doesn't enumerate his own virtues, he enumerates his own works. I fast twice in the week and I give tithes of all that I possess. Yes! Those are activities which are appointed by the law. But as the Lord tells us, the activities appointed by the law are not there to make us righteous. They're there to humble us and to make us fit dwelling places for the virtues. So he doesn't enumerate his virtues because he clearly doesn't have any. He can't say, I'm, I'm humble because he's clearly not. He can't say that I'm patient because here he is in condemnation over others. So he just says the things that he does. I do these things and thereby fulfill the letter of the law. The publican, in spite of his sins, has also come up to the temple to pray. In spite of his sins. Coming there, knowing full well what everybody else thinks of him. Nevertheless, he puts all of that aside and he approaches the temple of God for the sake of prayer. And he doesn't repent like Zacchaeus, right? Last week we heard about Zacchaeus and he repents in a radical fashion, right? The half of my goods I give to the poor and if I've defrauded anyone I restore to him fourfold, right? This radical repentance. This publican doesn't even do that. All he does is he stands with his eyes on the ground considering himself to be unworthy even to look up to the heights of heaven and to behold the throne of God. He strikes himself on the breast and in full knowledge says, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. It's a very different prayer from a very different kind of heart. And the Lord, of course, sums the parable up and says, this man, this man went home justified. That is having been made righteous or having been counted righteous rather than the other. Because the other, in exalting himself, has proved himself to be low. But the publican, in humbling himself, has demonstrated the true spiritual greatness that was concealed within him. The reason that the church appoints us to read this entering into the season of Great Lent is because we will be called upon to do things. Entering the season of Great Lent as an Orthodox Christian means that we will do things, that we will attempt to keep a more thorough rule of prayer, that we will attempt to come to the church more frequently, that we will attempt to prepare ourselves and to receive Holy Communion more frequently, that we will attempt to follow some very strict rules of fasting for quite a long period of time. And the worst thing that could happen to any of us is that we could do it all successfully and get to the end of the great fast and say, Thank God I did that! Look at how good I am! It is the worst possible outcome for Great Lent. We are called upon during the season of Great Lent to come to a greater knowledge of ourselves. Prayer and fasting and church services and Holy Communion itself is given to us for discipline. So that we can, it's like polishing the mirror so that you can see in it more clearly. But the point of it all is to bring us to a purer, a clearer vision of what is truly in the depths of our own hearts. Because I guarantee you, if we apply these principles, and if we get any kind of clarity into the depths of our own hearts, we will come into the temple by halfway through Great Lent, like this publican. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Not because that's what the gospel says I should do, or because Father Ambrose said that's how we're supposed to pray, but because we will know, in the depths of our own hearts, that we have no righteousness to present to God. One more thing I will say. There's a peculiarity of our church calendar. In the course of the year, we, we are asked to fast twice every week. Right? Does that sound familiar? I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Every Wednesday and Friday are days of fasting for Orthodox Christians. Because the Lord was betrayed by Judas on a Wednesday and because he was crucified on a Friday. From the time of the Apostles until now, we fast on those two days. Except for just a few times in the course of the year. There are four weeks in the course of a year in which we do not fast at all. One is the 12 days after Christmas... One is the week after Pascha, the Lord's resurrection from the dead. One is the week after Pentecost, and those three have something in common in that they are all celebratory. We are not; we don't fast at all in those time periods because we celebrate the, these tremendous events: the Nativity of the Lord, His resurrection from the dead, the descent of the Holy Spirit. The fourth one comes this week, and it's different. There's no fasting appointed for us this week. And it's not necessarily, I mean it kind of is, that we can celebrate because the publican went home justified. We can only celebrate that if we consider ourselves to be his companions, right? But I think it's a bit of a warning to us. Even though you are in the habit of fasting twice every week, you will not fast this week. To drive the point home, fasting, will not earn paradise. The only thing that will make us worthy of paradise is to stand before God with clear sight into the depths of our own heart and the ability to say with all sincerity and at the same time with hope and with love, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. To God, the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, be all glory, honor, and worship unto ages of ages. Amen. 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 Christ is in our midst. He is ever shall